Hi. Let's see what time it is. 10. Oh my goodness. I have been up since 8. Just blobbed on the couch. Little Facebook. Little Bible. A whole lot of blobbing. Okay. Um, this is extremely cool. As you can see, I, I have this this creative Bible. Oh, you know what? I told somebody that the last Bible journaling, I would show my coloring. I do not paint at all, but I love to color. And that's the extent. If you don't give me lines to color in, I can do it. I need the lines to color in. Um, so I, I thought that I would do more coloring than I have in this Bible. I got this Bible in 21. And um, this is the first year I've used it. And I'm not using it for the coloring at all. But the now the coloring stuff comes back to haunt me because it's in my way. I don't have a place to do notes. And I'm, I'm uh, on vacation this week. And I didn't bring my extra notebook that I usually do to, you know, make my extra stuff in margins on my extra notes. So... Anyway, I couldn't make as many notes today, but I read this chapter, oh my word, at least three times, if not four. It was so enlightening and enjoyable. Um, I'm going to end up here toward the top of the verse because that's what hit me first this morning. Um, it's just very important. And again, this is back to parenting. So tell your people who are parents to watch this. Um, the Horiad is a crown of glory. Verse 20, verse 31. This is 16th. Yes. Yeah, 16th. Um, so the hoary head is a crown of glory. Hoary means gray. The gray hair is a crown of glory. And this is this is something interesting because we will see this often through Proverbs. And also if you are reading a different version than KJV, like if you read NLT or NIV or whatever, a lot of these connecting words, if, but, and, like they're not in the the original language. So in this case, this is Hebrew. So you've got a lot of Proverbs you will have. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. Um, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So and is not in the Hebrew language. So when they were translating it over to the English language, the the translator had to had to put the connecting word here um, like. Often you will find the word but, which to us means, you know, you, you get a choice. It's this or this. Um, but a lot of times when you read a different version besides in, uh, King James Version, it will say and instead of but. Because this was the translator's um, choice, which article to use here. <laughs> and so for us, we've got to really... Um, look a little deeper sometimes because did the translator use something that means the opposite? Like this verse, for instance, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Um, 
this this is the accurate use here. Um, but there are some, like for instance, this one, I think verse one is the one that I noticed earlier today. Some versions use the word, but the the preparations of the, of the heart in man. Um, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord is what some versions say. They use the article, but, which means it's the opposite of the first phrase. And we actually see that periodically through Proverbs. Um, and it, it doesn't mean much of anything. It's, it's just a matter of the English language and looking deeper at the verse to know for sure if the translator um, used, used the right article there. I shouldn't say the right. Um, anyway, just it's just interesting to know. It's no big deal. Um, let's see. I wanted to start here at the end, though. So this word, if... Um, other translations just say um, the the hoary head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. It is found instead of if it be found. It says it is found, and the the um, the insight and understanding is that um, a couple of things. One, if you live righteously, you live longer. Um, especially in this day and age in ancient times when um, medical care <laughs> did not keep people living to the end of, of the age uh, by, um, you know, by medicines and, and things. So if you were living righteously, if you weren't partying, you lived longer than other people. Um, and so you tended to have gray hair since the mortality rate was so, uh, so young. So the gray hair is a crown of glory. Um, but this is, this is, I think, a great use if it be found in the way of righteousness. Because I have learned in my life, especially <laughs> living close to the villages. So for those of you who are in this group who do not live in our area, the villages is a retirement community. Um, so everybody there is retired. So most people are above the age of 65, though you will have some in there as young as 50 and 55, but that's unusual. Most of them are over the age of 65. And the villages, <laughs> whether they have let their hair go gray or not, the villages is a party city. The highest rate of STDs is in the villages. And so that is not the way of righteousness, my friends. Um, and so I have learned that it's possible to be engaging and interacting with people who are of the age to have gray hair, but there not be one of those hairs that has a lick of wisdom in it. <laughs> Absolutely none of the years has um, resulted in them gaining insight and wisdom and understanding and discretion. And for me, you know, I grew up in, in church. And so to me, elders, the older you are, the more trials you've been through, the more you've learned and you've learned, gone through those learning experiences for the purpose of teaching the younger. And so to me, the hoary head, the gray hair is, you know, this prominent, um, um, you know, person that you should admire and respect and look up to because they've gone through all these trials and experiences for the sake of teaching the younger. But this is a great translation. The hoary head is a crown of glory. If it be found in the way of righteousness, 
<laughs> if they've just got gray hair because they've got gray hair and they've been living a long time, no, no. You got to be careful. This is another interesting thing. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. So, um, the lot, this is very interesting. Again, I need to, I need to make some merch for myself. Cause I, when I listen back to my recordings, I say repetitive things like this is very interesting and, um, okay. Okay. <laughs> this is very interesting though. <laughs> so, the lot is cast into the lap. I, I've not seen, um, I've not seen this being frowned upon. Um, this is, you know, akin to throwing dice. The lot is cast into the lap. This is of course used here. Um, and it's not necessarily saying it's derogatory to cast a lot. Um, but then you also, and I'm not promoting gambling, by the way, I'm, I'm just pointing out some ways that I've seen um, religious people kind of get lopsided and imbalanced on some ideas like using dice to play a game. Um, my mother used to not use dice to play a game because she was taught that dice was um, gambling. So the lot is cast into the lap. Um, this is what we see them using in the book of Jonah. That's how they decided to throw Jonah overboard. Um, that's this a lot is how they chose to um, separate Christ's garment. They gambled at the at the foot of the cross to see who was going to win his garment. Um, and then the 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 most recent in scripture use of the of the lot is when they chose um who was going to replace Judas so the lot is cast into the lap but the whole disposing thereof is of the lord um so how it falls is of the lord is what this verse is saying and so that's why um even the disciples in the book of acts used this method to decide who was going to um, replace Judas. And, um, I'm certainly not trying to tear down, um, old convictions about throwing dice. I'm not trying to get anybody to start throwing dice, <laughs> but I am trying to point out that, um, that the Lord is more in control than, than we realize. And along with that idea, there's another verse in here. Let me see how quickly I can find it. Here it is. Verse 11, a just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. So, you know, another verse says, all things work together for good to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Even what is bad, God can make work together for good. The lot may be cast whether or not that's the best way to make a decision or not, what I do know is that God's going to make all things work together for his good. It's his plan. It's his goodness. It's his world. Uh, we're living in a very small speck of his world, his time, his plan. And so this is, this is actually very encouraging because a just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. So if you're in an imbalanced place in life right now, 
Maybe it's your health that feels imbalanced. Maybe it's a trial, a difficult thing you're going through that feels imbalanced. Stick around with the Lord. Stay with the Lord because the weights of the bag are his work. And so he's going to end up bringing a balance to the situation because he likes a just weight and balance. And so if, if you stay with the Lord, God will swing things back into a, a place where things feel proper as they should, because that's how God likes to work things. If, if life or if trials or if Satan or even if our own bad decisions has caused us to be in balance, stick with the Lord through it all. Because the weights of his bag are the weights of the bag are his work. He's going to bring it in line. Um, oh goodness, this is an important verse twenty five. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, I spoke here about we put ourselves out of balance sometimes with our bad choices, but stick with the Lord. Um, because he knows how to fix things our own way is, it seems right to push this way, to go this way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I have learned in my life and years of living for the Lord, be not deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever. A man soweth that shall he also reap. Um, uh, um, there will come, <clears throat> sin does bring forth death. Sin brings forth death. And so this way that seems right to a man, when we give into it, if it is not the way of the Lord, it will bring forth a death. And we might even mourn the death. And I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about, you know, maybe, maybe we got out of the will of the Lord, like, like Sarah and Abraham, when they had, um, when they used Sarah's uh, uh, servant to have Ishmael. Ishmael ended up being a thorn in Sarah's side. And that was a death to her. That plan where she jumped the gun and pushed her own way to accomplish something ended up bringing a death to her life. It ended up not being life and joy. It ended up being a death to her. And then further, when Abraham had to let Ishmael and Hagar go, that felt like a death to him. So there is a way that seems right to us. And we can spin it however we want to spin it. And, and say, oh, this will be okay. You know, this is, this is okay. But it will bring a death to us. It will. I am speaking from a place of experience. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. It is. Um, let me go to these verses here. Um, when a man's ways please the Lord. Uh, let me pop up here. The preparations, verse one, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. This goes in line with, um, with even this idea of a lot being cast. A lot is cast. But the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. And, and this is the case too. The preparations of the heart in man. Um, this is like uh, um, another version I'm trying to remember. I wish I had a better memory. Um, but a, a man prepares something 
but the the answer of that comes from the Lord. Um, and so this is this goes in line with God works all things out for his good. The preparations of the heart and man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And so we are going to do our part. We have to do our part. Um, but when we're living righteously, when we're trying to live prudently, when the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, things work out for our good. For those who are the called. Okay. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. This goes in line with yesterday's verse. That's verse 7, 16, 7. Yesterday's verse, 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath. We've got several verses that kind of tie in. Another one is here in verse 20. He that handleth the matter wisely shall find good. And whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. So, you know, when you, when you handle things well then then things are going to work out for you um a soft answer turns away wrath the tongue of the wise uses knowledge or right we had so many verses yesterday about speaking well we've got it again today the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips to to speak well to be better at our at our conversation we've got to study. We've got to find books. We've got to find podcasts. We've got to find um, ways to speak well. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Um, there's another verse I read in here earlier today about um, about teaching Oh man. Okay. I'm going to, I'm just going to stay on. I, like I said, I read this chapter at least three times, if not four, and I loved it so much. I, and I don't have my extra note paper. So I was trying to remember all these little markings I've made. All right, let's end with this right here. This is the importance of parenting. So iniquity verse six, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, Men depart from evil. Iniquity means perverse, depravity, and guilt. And if you are in the news at any level, you know we're living in a season of perversity, depravity. This this situation where You've got um, a culture not wanting to call men men and women women, um, wanting to call women breastfeeders, mothers breastfeeders, and and uh, are uh, uh, womb carriers, and you know it's just ridiculous. It's perverse and it's depravity. It's just sad, and the the real. It's not even just that it's sad. It's not even just that it's irritating, just that it's dumb. I mean, these things, dumb, irritating, frustrating, all of these apply. <laughs> but the, the real sorrow in the situation is we know that people who, who live this way end up feeling a load of guilt that they can hardly stand to live with. 
they end up feeling so guilty that their anxiety goes through the roof when a culture is is giving itself over to this spirit. We dealt with this in the, um, this American culture dealt with this kind of thing in the um, 60s with the hippie movement, the free love movement. Um, it came around again in the 80s um, when they were, when they were releasing um, the the idea that homosexuality should just be accepted, the the suicide rate increased during that, and we've got it again: anxiety and suicide and depression just through the roofs. And you know, so much of our culture is wanting to blame this rise in in these um, the the this guilt this level of guilt that's causing so much anxiety and depression and, and they want to blame it on, uh, you know, COVID and isolation, but it, it cannot be overlooked that at the same time that that was going on, we also have this release of breaking down the moral compass, tearing down what is, um, what is the biblical, way of understanding men and women and sexuality and, um, and true, uh, true, um, points and, and what's the word sources. That's the word I'm looking for. True sources of comfort, true sources of love. We've, we've broken that down. These various, these generations come to it over and over and they have throughout all of civilization. Throughout all of civilization, they've come to these points where they have, they have tried to unleash and in, in the name of freedom, um, this no, no rules apply when it comes to our um, sexuality and our sources of comfort and love. And it ends up throwing humanity over and over again. Like I said, this is, there's nothing new under the sun. This is not the first time humanity has come to these points. They did it during the Roman Empire. They did it during the Greek Empire. They did it. Every empire that has ruled the world has come to these points. And unfortunately, they, they always end up being the breaking point of those empires, which is what makes me nervous for the USA right now. But nevertheless, the outcome, as far as our love and care for humanity and God's love and care for humanity, guilt is the outcome of that. People live under such a load of guilt. And when they're living under this load of guilt, they, they believe that this shame comes from their parents not accepting them. It, they refuse to believe because the, they're not in the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. And because they're not living under the fear of the Lord, they think their guilt and this load of shame that they're dealing with comes from the fact that their parents don't accept their their um, sexuality, their fact that their um, their family doesn't accept that they're trans, the fact that their family doesn't accept that they they are blaming their guilt and their their feeling of shame on the culture of society. And that's not the case. It, they're feeling guilt and shame because it's a spiritual matter. And it's it's heartbreaking. But here's the thing. Iniquity is purged. So it, it's possible for perverseness and depravity and guilt to be purged from us. It's possible for it to be purged from us. So 
if that's possible, then we need to know how it's purged. How do we get rid ourselves? How does a human, for you parents raising children in a society that is that is teaching that, um, I can't even say all the alphabets, LGBTQ, uh, all of the rest. <laughs> I can't think of them all. I, for those of you raising children in this society, you have to be on guard against this spirit. The, the spirit is released in the land, and now you have to be on guard with it. I'm going to tell you right now, um, this is my first time to say this publicly. I've said it to my children, to Morgan and Madison, but this is my first time to say it publicly. I was on guard against the spirit of homosexuality with my children, even though the only life I knew and the only life they knew was an apostolic Pentecostal biblical upbringing. Because the spirit had been released in, the, in their culture, so therefore, when they went to college, they were going to deal with the spirit. And so I, in their long before they went to college, I didn't just say, um, that's bad or that's yucky. I didn't just say, ooh, that's gross. I said, that's a sin. In the same way that I taught my children that porn is a sin and that having sex outside of marriage is a sin, I taught my children that homosexuality was a sin. I didn't say it was gross. I said it's a sin. And I didn't downplay the sin. I taught them that it was a sin. It's not just gross and yucky. You can't, parents raising children in the culture you're raising children, listen to me. Don't tell them, oh, that's gross. I mean, you can use the word gross if you want to, but in the same way that you, when they're younger, you use the word gross to talk about all kinds of things. You just label things across the board because their vocabulary isn't grown. You say, that's gross, that's gross, that's gross. But once they start developing a vocabulary, you don't just say homosexuality is yucky. Oh, that's disgusting. You don't just say it's disgusting. You say that's a sin and we are not involving ourselves in sin. The same way that you're teaching them that these habits build your faith and connect you to God, you are also teaching them these habits separate you from God and they are a sin. And all of those sins are sad. Isn't it so sad that they're living in sin? Isn't it so sad? Um, here's an example. When Morgan was um, little, we had seen pictures of her grandmommy um, standing by a motorcycle smoking a cigarette. Now, the only thing Morgan knew of her grandmommy was her grandmommy after she was born again. So her grandmommy had long hair that she put in a, a bun on top of her head, and she always wore skirts and dresses, and she was a school teacher, and, and she wore, you know, jean A-line dresses with apple uh, patches all over it, and, you know, <laughs> if... People met Lola after she was saved. They would have thought she was Amish, uh, but but she was not. She was uh, she was a, a man. I can't think of the word before the hippie movement started. Oh, those of you who were who were in your teen years during that time, you can 
type it in the comments. It's not coming to me right now. But anyway, the, there was a culture that prefaced, prefaced the hippie movement, and that's what Lola was. And so there's a picture of her in the 60s. She's smoking a cigarette, standing by a motorcycle. And so I did not want Morgan to think that was cool. So later, we're driving home. Morgan's probably five or six years old. We're driving home from Pensacola. And I said, Morgan, can you imagine grandmommy riding a motorcycle and smoking? I'm like trying to set this up to be, you know, like that is just sad. That is crazy. Like this is such a better life. And, you know, I'm about to, to go into my spiel about how cigarettes give you cancer and, and, you know, the motor motorcycle culture of that day was driving people into sin. You know, it wasn't like, you know, today you've got all the most people I know that drive motorcycles are, um, elders in the church. They're the only ones who can afford the motorcycles. <laughs> but when grandmommy was alive, it was a very youthful thing to do. And it, it set an image about yourself, you know? So I'm like setting this up for Morgan. Can, can you imagine grandmommy riding a motorcycle and smoking? And Morgan's like, yeah, She'd just be like, she'd be holding her hands like this and she'd be like doing like this. And she's like putting her, a fake cigarette to her mouth and like, oh my God, no. But you know, you have these conversations with your kids to let them know we live differently than that. And then as they grow, your vocabulary gets bigger. And so by the time my kids were in high school, I was deliberately, I had already before they were even born, I had already decided my kids were not going to sleepovers because I just, through my own life, I just saw too many um, sinful um, indulgences, not indulgences in homosexuality, not to that degree. I don't mean that. I just mean like the first, um, the first ideas of what sex was, I got from a slumber party. And of course it was incorrect because we were all nine-year-olds or 11-year-olds or whatever we were, but those sleepovers lower a guard that children do not need lowered. And so, um, you know, the scripture says, do not awaken love before it's time. And that's, I think sleepovers create that environment, that ability, that situation, unless parents, unless mothers are going to be awake the whole time the, the children are awake, they're nonsense. They, children should not be put in those environments. They, they are just hazardous environments. And therefore, because I already had that, and that was already our custom that carried over into high school, which is really where sexuality begins to be explored. And then that, of course, carries over into college. And I didn't go to college. And so when I was walking around the campus while Morgan and Madison were in college and I'm seeing dorm life and I'm seeing sad, lonely girls away from their families for the first time, um, seeing other people in, in couple relationships, man, guy and girl relationships, and they're outside of a relationship and they haven't had a boyfriend maybe ever or in years and they're suddenly in a dorm with just girls i'm like oh my goodness the devil has been using college campus dorms life to facilitate this his agenda of tearing down male and female roles for decades for generations I, 
had no idea until I was walking around the campus and started learning it. So anyway, my point is that parents, you've got to point it out. I knew that 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 spirit was alive and well, and I knew it was going to come knocking on the door of my kids. And I've had conversations since my kids have been in their um in their 20s where they they both have told me and they have we have actually talked about um wanting to talk about it publicly which is why i feel comfortable doing it now because we've had private conversations where we wanted to talk about that spirit knocking on each of their doors now if you know both of my kids right now you know they are very um solid in their their males of male their roles of male and female they are very focused and solid and running in those lines but there were times when that spirit came and knocked on their doors and so parents that are raising children and and even a further released culture because I wasn't dealing with a trans spirit. I was only dealing with homosexuality. You've got to be aware that first of all, you've got to teach your children. That is a sin. Just like living together outside of marriage is a sin. That spirit is also a sin. And we are trying to distance ourselves from sin and we are trying to live for God. Okay. So, for people who are dealing with iniquity through their childhood, through their teen years, through their college years, they're dealing with the spirit of perversity and depravity. And therefore, because they're dealing with that spirit, even if they've not given themselves over to that spirit, listen to me, mom and dad, even if they've not given themselves over to that spirit, if they entertained it for a second, if they wondered about it for a second, they're going to feel guilt. And that guilt and that shame is going to build on them. And they're going to start questioning themselves. And the spirit of this world is heavy and strong. So we parents need to know how to purge your child of this iniquity. How do you, what purges a person of iniquity? Mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. Now, let me tell you the world, the current world's perversion of mercy. It is to accept their efforts at mercy is to accept the perversity and depravity of the of the sexuality that's going on. Their idea of mercy is to embrace it and accept it. But here's what's twisted about it. Anyone that's standing for um traditional roles, biblical roles of husband and wife, male and female, anyone that's standing for traditional roles, they have no mercy for. They have no mercy for. <laughs> so for those of us who are actually living by mercy, we are way better at accepting and making them feel peaceful and happy in our atmosphere than they are about making us feel peaceful and happy in their atmosphere. Because it's a twisted mercy. It's a perverted mercy. It's only mercy on, on people who are living a lifestyle outside of the will of God. That's all they have mercy for. Anyone trying to stand for truth, they have no mercy for. If they were hearing this podcast right now, they will have no mercy on me. Because I've used the word perverse and depravity. <laughs> because 
I've talked about the fact that they feel guilt and they feel shame. And I've pointed out that it's not because their family's not accepting them. It's a spiritual problem. They will have no mercy on me for saying that. None. I will be able to sit up right this second and have coffee with them, not bring up their fact. I could sit with a trans person right this second and make them feel so happy and peaceful in my presence. You know why? Because I live by the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom and a soft answer turns away wrath. That's why. But they are living by a, a, a false sense of mercy. They, their mercy is twisted. But true mercy and truth, <laughs> this is so powerful for parents to understand. It's so powerful for people to live by. And I hope, I hope that God will set people free from the, the bondage of the enemy by this one day. By mercy and truth, their iniquity is purged. Not a my truth and a your truth. There is only one truth. And by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Having mercy on people who are dealing with guilt and thoughts that, that they are not understanding of. Having mercy on that. I, when, I knew I was a discerning mother. I, I, am led by the gifts of the spirit. I operate in the gifts of the spirit, discernment, word of knowledge. I knew when that spirit came and knocked on my children's door, but I dealt with my children in mercy. I did not throw them under a bus or make them feel disgusting because that spirit came and knocked on their door. But I also stood in truth and didn't allow it to stay knocking on their door. And so I don't know if you are dealing with perversity and depravity. I don't know if your kids are, but the key to purging iniquity is mercy and truth. Stick with the Lord. Just like I said about these verses, stick with the Lord because the Lord is going to bring it about for your good He's going to bring it about for good. Okay, so here's the really cool connection. So I'm like, mercy and truth. I know that phrase. How do I know the phrase mercy and truth this morning when I read this? Oh, okay. So I, I looked in my concordance for the phrase mercy and truth, and it's in there a few times. Um, but it specifically says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. In Proverbs 3, 3, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them. While I was looking up mercy and truth, the other, um, the other verse that came up in my concordance was Proverbs 6, verses 20 and 21. And this is why I connected it to parenting today. Because it, this is the, the, the chapter and verses, chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, that says, um, um, obey the command, the, uh, the commandments of your father and the law of your mother. I don't have another Bible on me. Oh, you know what? Duh. I don't have another Bible. Let's see. Where is this? Proverbs 6, 20 and 21. Proverbs 1. Where are we at here? Proverbs 10. Proverbs 6. My son, keep thy father's commandment. Forsake not the law of thy mother. 
Keep your father's commandment, forsake not the law of thy mother. What are you supposed to do with your father's commandment and the law of your mother? Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. The only other thing that I can find scripture saying to bind on your heart and neck is this right here. Proverbs 3.3. 3, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them upon thy neck. Write them upon the tables of thy heart. So it turns out that the commandment of the father and the law of the mother is mercy and truth. The commandment of the father and the law of the mother all boils down to being mercy and truth. Parents, this is how you raise your children. You have a truth that is absolute. It is unbending. It is truth. It is not your truth, my truth, their truth. It is, there is one truth. And let me tell you something further. When I was telling this to Matteo this morning, I was so excited. I texted him all of this. And um, he, he replied back with the spirit of truth leads into all truth. Parents, stand for truth. I don't care what comes against you because the spirit of truth is going to lead your children into all truth. Mercy and truth. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. So if you are dealing with a spirit that is causing you to feel guilt, you stick with mercy and truth because that's how you purge yourself of that guilt and the fear of the Lord. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Oh, okay. This was longer than I meant. That's how it goes when you're on vacation. Actually, I go longer than I mean to every morning. I love you. Thank you for joining me today. Bye-bye.